Welcome to episode 49 of Lil Muck, a member of the Odd Pods Media Network. This is a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Today, we are interviewing Florida political strategist, organizer, and advocate, Maya Brown. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. I would love to. Maya Brown has spent almost 10 years electing progressive Democrats to offices and running issue-based campaigns up and down the ballot in Florida. Her political experience is matched by her fundraising and public spokesman skills. A known consensus builder, she has collaborated with politicians, nonprofit leaders, and community advocates to help solve and effectively communicate some of our state's most pressing issues and help nonprofit organizations grow. Her legislative and public affairs experience in both Florida's capital and local government helped shape historic quality of life and criminal justice policy reforms. We are so excited. Welcome, Maya, to the podcast. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. We are so thrilled to have you here. Every list that comes out after the sessions is like, top 10 amazing people, top yeah. 20, <laughs> you know, people under 30. And Maya's on these lists. And yes. so, and, and we have all these friends in common, which is how it kind of works when in these circles, right? You, everybody knows somebody. And uh, I was just so grateful that, that Maya agreed to join us because yeah. she has had some wonderful insights and worked on incredible campaigns this last uh, election cycle. So thank you for being here. And why don't we start with you telling us how you got involved in politics? Sure. So um, how much time have you got? 30 years? (laughs) 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 I wish. I wish. Yeah, no, but I feel like I really got started. um, I grew up in a small town of the land right outside of Daytona Beach and um, had um, my family was they always took me to go vote when I was smaller. So I had that experience of Election Day and getting a sticker. Um, I was engaged in my community and in my church and I had a um, a family friend who ran for office and served in the Florida House when I was little. Um, and so I had that kind of um, tangential experience with politics kind of in my peripheral and was able to kind of see the impact, especially of someone that I knew. And then when I got to um, college, I went to the University of South Florida, go Bulls, and mm-hmm. um, I um, thought I wanted to be a professor and um, thought that the way I was going to do systemic change was by um, – impacting the students that came through my classroom. I come from a family of educators. My mom's a guidance counselor now, but was in the classroom. Um, my grandmother was a social worker and an educator, like a long line of um, folks in the school system, but realized that, you know, I'm only going to impact the 30 or four kids who come through my classroom, right? So mm-hmm. like, how can I have broader impact on marginalized communities, particularly black folks? And I thought about policy and government. And um, so, um, my next kind of big goal was to become Soledad O'Brien. She had these Black in America <sighs> series on CNN. I, I heard a laugh. Y'all might remember that. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, that would be great to like go around and talk about these things. Um, and so I was like a communications writer for five minutes. And I realized <laughs> that that's not what I wanted to do either. And um, talked to my uh, advisor. And um, I was like, I've heard this town called a lobbyist. Like, what is that? Can you tell me about it? And so she was like, yes, absolutely. That's something you should look into. And then fast forward um, a semester and I was doing um, this program at USF called the uh, Tallahassee Internship Program that moved about 12 students up to Tallahassee for the semester to be placed either with a member, um, an advocacy association or a lobbying firm. 
And so I got placed with the latter and was able to see firsthand how the process worked in Tallahassee. And that's when the bug bit me um, and have been working on campaigns, working for elected officials and advocacy groups ever since. And so in 2020, um, I launched my own firm mm. full time and was able to really kind of get my name out there outside of just being kind of, you know, mid level staffer um, to really impact and show folks that, you know, there is. Um, there are women of color, particularly young black women who are in this space that can lead and manage campaigns and win. Mm. Wow. Love that so much. I mean, this is incredible. And, you know, you do work as a, uh, you know, political public affairs consulting, political strategist. Can you just tell our listeners, like, what is that? Because I think we hear these terms a lot, mm-hmm. like a political consultant, or like you said, even lobbyist, and people are like, okay, like, I know that term, but they really don't know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about my work kind of in three parts. So on the campaign side, either called a political consultant or a general consultant, I'm kind of the person who is the first person you call when you're thinking about running for office. And so to build your strategy, build out your team, your vendors, what does your win number look like? How do we get there? And just working back from election day to the day that you decide to run. Um, mm. that, that's one arm. The second arm is the lobbying arm where um, I am hired by a business, an organization to, eat, to go up to Tallahassee or local government to push for, advocate um, for legislation or try to stop bad legislation from happening based on the interests of that particular principle. And the third piece um, on the public affairs side is the communication and um, grassroots coalition work. And so is it, how are we, how are we helping organizations or groups get in front of elected officials, help message around really complex um, ideas to help get grassroots or community buy-in? Um, that's kind of the third arm of what I do in Florida. So um, really excited. We've got to work on some really um, awesome process projects. Excuse me. We did some redistricting stuff. Um, we also did some stuff during session around, um, uh, I can't even think of it right now, but basically everything you've been, <laughs> every bad thing that came out of Tallahassee, we were trying yeah. to, you know, be on the forefront of trying to stop it. Talking about don't say gay yeah. and prepping members with talking points and all these things um, just to make sure that um, they're, the people that we elected, right, our grassroots advocates and champions um, have community backing that can help utilize those same talking points um, to get the message out about the bad things that's coming out of Tallahassee. Oh, and there's a lot of bad things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. And it's more to come. Of yeah. course, of course, always. It's Tallahassee. It's Florida. Like yep. you think you've yep. seen the worst? Wait a second. Hold yeah. hold on yeah. a second. What's coming? That's right. Um, That's right. Hold my beer. Yeah, yeah, hold my beer. That's what each ses- ses- new session says. The last session. So the um, the communication background is interesting to me because really, when you look at it, and even all the stories we do on our regular muck, it is about communication. Yeah. Like it is a sales pitch. I think. Yeah. Politics. And, and mm-hmm. most, some, most of the time it's good guys. I mean, you would hope with a good sales pitch, but when you have even really horrible kind of candidates or, or things, guys that aren't trying to do the good things like a DeSantis, he still has a sales pitch that is working yeah. in some way, shape or form <laughs> somewhere in mm-hmm. Florida. And so mm-hmm. I think I find that very interesting. And so a question I had when you said candidates, 
I mean, we talked to our good friend, Lindsay Pollard. And Mm -hmm. if somebody comes to her and they're like, I want to run for office and she sits down with them. And the first thing she says is who's, who wants you to run, right? Like that's the Mm -hmm. first question. How many people in the community know who you are and and want you to, to do this? Because that's kind of important. So when somebody comes to you, is that the same kind of thing that you do? Do you, do you, um, kind of analyze if they would be the best person or do you just take the job and it's like, here's somebody I can work for? Well, I think um, as somewhere in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I am, and this is where sometimes Lindsay and I disagree on this. Like, I don't think I'm the arbiter to tell folks who can and can't run for office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, and I fundamentally believe that running for office starts well before you even put your name on the ballot, right? Like, mm-hmm. how have you been involved in the community? Right. What organizations are you a part of? Do people know you based on the service work that you've already done? And I think that, you know, I, I have folks that I've been in relationship with who have been doing this work for years and they're not even on the ballot yet, but thinking about when that opportunity comes mm-hmm. that they'll be ready to do it because they built this, these relationships early on. Um, and so I think that's more so how I base who I get to work with on is like, do you, have you, do you have good relationships? Have you proven to be a good, well-rounded community servant? Are you also, um, do you have the relationship to raise the money, right? Because I don't want to ever um, hype someone up saying that, like, you absolutely can run because there's a lot of great folks who would be great elected officials and would be bad candidates, right? Mm. Because not because of anything to their own accord, but because it takes money to re- run yeah. a campaign. And so what does that mean? Do you have the work ethic? Are you going to work at this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just you don't put your name on the ballot and that's it, right? Like, no, right. you have to knock on doors, you have to raise the money, you have to go to all the events. And so I think those types of characteristics um, I look for in the initial conversations with folks, and then hopefully I've known them from their community work before to help say, okay, this is something that we'll be actually able to do and accomplish together. Um, but I'm also, you know, I've talked to myself out of a lot of money before and tell folks <laughs> like, look, like this, um, you know, I don't know if you're ready for this level, um, but, and I also don't know if I'm the best person to help you based on where mm. you are, right? And like, you know, if you need more help with fundraising, that's, you need to call Lindsay Pollard for that. And you don't need to pay me to do that. Call Lindsay, let's see if there's a, um, some donors that might be able to help you and give you that boost of your campaign. Um, and I think we, you know, quite candidly should stop lying to people. Like, mm. yes, we need more folks to run for office and we need to tell them how hard it is. Yes. Um, and <laughs> that way people have a better understanding of what they're signing up for. Yeah. And we don't get lackluster campaigns yeah, right. after we've already put all this support behind them. And I, I think the one thing that you touched on, too, is that fundraising piece. Like, I don't think people realize, like, how many phone calls a candidate mm-hmm. is making to try to get money for a campaign. Yeah. I mean, that alone is like a full-time job if you're running. Totally. It is. And also, is. so, and I, I also, it goes to that. I remember after Trump was elected, it was like, everybody run for office. Like, you're like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Hey, <laughs> easy. Uh, we don't need everybody to, to run for we office. We need the best people to run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, talk to us about Florida. I mean, oh. you know, we live here and we're trying, uh, we're trying to do our best and like get people to come out and vote seem to be an issue. Um, I think there was a, an article that came out today. I think it's like 
40,000 people, Democrats in Broward didn't mail in the ballot they had. 40,000? Mm-hmm. It's I mean, crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think do you it is? Was, <laughs> I know. I don't know why you asked for it if you're not going to mail it in. But but what do you think it is behind that? Do you think that Democratic messaging was off statewide? Do you think that candidates weren't inspiring? Is it just midterms and people don't vote? Like, what is it? It seemed like there was so much at stake here. And I don't understand how people, th- that many people didn't come out to vote. I think it was a combination of all the things that you mentioned. And, you know, I try to avoid the hot takes um, Mm -hmm. on the Internet. And, you know, and I think there was a lot of this one particular issue, a person caused this catastrophic loss in Florida. And just to, like, let make sure folks understand, like, Florida wasn't just bad because we lost a U.S. Senate race and we lost the governor's mansion. Like we are now in a Republican supermajority in both chambers mm-hmm. in the Florida legislature, uh, meaning that Democratic seats we lost, right? Yeah. Like Democratic leaning oh. seats we lost. And so to the question, right, like about how we got there and some possibilities, yes, I do think that the messaging was off. People cared about what was in our pocketbook. Mm. Um, and like, wh- where are we able to afford gas? I was at the pump today and I was just like, damn, gassing up again. Like, yeah. <laughs> take a loan. I got to take a loan out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I think what we missed the mark on and is that especially for folks who live at intersections of being a woman, a person of color. Um, income status, all those things are true at once. And I think that we did a bad job of talking about only um, reproductive freedom, freedom and abortion, the context of just healthcare, instead of thinking about that mm. as an economic issue, right? Like, or thinking about um, the concept of um, freedom, right? What does freedom mean to people of color, right? And like mm. having an honest conversation, is, is a freedom a moving point for black and brown people? Probably not, right? But yeah. in, in like really having intentional conversations about how sometimes our big tent is too big. And like, what does that mean to make sure that folks have space? And so maybe instead of talking about issues, we talk about values, right? And like that we share value. Like we want everybody, Driscoll says it all the time. We want, do we all believe that everybody should be safe? Yes. The issues then under that would be like, well, how do we get there? But the values we all share is that everyone should be healthy, prosperous, and safe. We're not going to argue about how we get there issue-wise, but mm-hmm. value-based, that's what we share. And that's a, what, as Democrats, we believe. That's what we should be building our campaigns on to build consensus and get people to believe in the change that we're talking about instead of arguing over which issues get us there. And I think that's kind of the minutia that we got caught up in. Um, and I do think that it was a turnout problem, right? Like, yeah. we didn't have the resources to move people like we normally would. Um, the vote by mail stuff, you know, I talked to a lot of people, um, even Democrats who were concerned about the election integrity and wanted to vote in person. And so that being a driving point to turn out Democrats wasn't in the same fashion as we expected it to. Um, and really, we needed organizers on the ground to have those one-on-one conversations with voters to say, hey, you absolutely can turn in your ballot. It will be accounted for. And we, we just didn't have the infrastructure and the resources to back that up to. Oh, the infrastructure. And so uh, a lot of people have been talking about how this is a failure of the Florida Democratic Party as a whole. And mm-hmm. do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it it institutionally has been problematic for a long time, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I have some grace for it because this isn't a problem that we 
just got. Like right. we've been losing elections for the last twenty years, right? Like the last time we had the governor's mansion was in the nineteen nineties yeah. or something. So like this wasn't a problem that we just stumbled upon. And so I think it is almost inappropriate and miscalculated to blame it just on this one person in this particular moment. Um, I do think that there is accountability there, but it's not like they're the only person or this, this, the group of people in charge of the party at this time shouldn't be the only people held accountable. Right. Right. But we have two decades of this. Yeah. Um, I do think also that um, we have to think long-term about what rebuilding the party looks like. I'm not a, you know, tear it, tear it all down, build it back up type of person, but we should, um, we should interrogate what got us here, right? Like, is it um, the type of programs we're running? Is it like really do a thorough SWOT analysis of kind of how this has been going? What is causing us the inability to get the resources back into the state or build long-term sustainable multi-cycle infrastructure? And really have these hard conversations to figure out what went wrong. And it's and losing isn't what what losing is what went wrong, but how do we get there, right? Like how do we get to this point and how do we keep finding ourselves here mm. every two years? Yeah. And that has to be the question to answer instead of just saying that SEP lost us the race. Okay, right. and, and then what? <laughs> right. Yeah, and also so so I agree with you. I but here's and I but here's what I would love. I would love for their for them just like the next day, the next morning, like Wednesday, November 9th to say, "Hey, we have a lot of work to do." Like there's no it didn't even seem like there was any sort of acceptance of like we're, you know, we have a lot of work to do and we you know, we haven't been doing the right thing. Our strategy is off clearly. Voters in Florida don't uh stand with us. We have to get them back on our side and fight for these things. Like, I don't even, I don't think I've seen anything even come out where they acknowledge that we had losses, which is so bizarre to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it kind of depends on the messenger to that point too, right? <laughs> like who, who said what? <laughs> and right. like, where did it come from? And cause I do think that some of party leadership did mention like this loss was terrible. All the things that you mentioned, mm. um, but it also takes a lot of humility to acknowledge your role in that process too, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that's hard, whether you are a candidate, whether you are in charge of a local party, you know, and sometimes even if you're a senior staffer on a campaign, so that's a hard pill to swallow because you put so much of yourself right. into that's these true. roles mm -hmm. that it almost feels really personal. And that I think sometimes gets, us in trouble too yeah. and just like trying to separate yourself but and it's particularly harder I think for women people of color because we know that by doing this work we're impacting our communities right mm -hmm. like if this is not just a regular job where we clock in you know like you know do some sort of for-profit ad campaign and leave like no like people's livelihoods rest at the inner like at the process of whether or not we win these campaigns and these races and so I think it's more difficult to sometimes step back and acknowledge our roles in, in the ways that we played a part in sometimes the downfall of larger institutional infrastructural problems um, and think and really acknowledge and try to find resources in terms of human capital that can mm -hmm. help us, you know, move the ball forward instead of just, I need a title, I need a role, so y'all should pick me. Yeah. 
And I think too, it's, you know, listen, like you said, it has been 22 decades of losses and I'm not expecting, and I don't ever expect like every two years, we're going to see this, you know, huge impact from the party or whatever, but we have to start somewhere. And it just feels like we're always, there's no zero ground. Like it's just always the same old messaging or the same old ground game or whatever it is. It's just, I would love to see some sort of like, here's our plan for 20 years, because that's how long it's going to take us to try to get stuff back. And like, just start somewhere, please, because there's so many communities that are impacted by it. And I wrote down your healthy, prosperous and safe, like, that sounds incredible to me. Like, that sounds like Mm -hmm. messaging that people can actually get behind. Everybody wants those kinds of things. Those are basic human, you know, needs and wants is to live healthy, prosperous and safe lives. Like, Sounds good. <laughs> that right. Sounds good. Yep. I mean, it That's seems right. like a good place to start. So, I mean, listen, everybody's doing a post-mortem on this election for Florida. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. was there a very, can you give us three candidates that you were very excited to either work with or that you saw win that you know are going to, to be part of this moving forward, like pr- this progress we're going to have in Florida? Yeah, I mean, I think that the primary and the general elections are very different completely different, right? And all of the things that we kind of talked about previously in terms of what moves people to messaging, abortion, Mm. um, freedom, the extremism and pushing back on extremism were absolutely talking points that move the primary electorate, right? Especially to the left. And I think because of that, we were able to elect an Ashley Gant. I had the honor of working on her campaign to take out. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) To take out um, Representative James Bush, who was the only Democrat who voted for Don't Say Gay and for the 15-week abortion ban and all these things, right? And so in the primary, I think it was very clear that people wanted uh, more Democratic representatives who pushed the envelope, right? And uh, who, quote, unquote, pushed the envelope. Um, but in the general election, I think that's what we saw was very different, right? Mm. Is that um, I don't know if, and, and this is probably part of the postmortems that we're going to be on soon, if it was that these um, quote unquote social issues about abortion um, and um, don't say gay and transgender health care were too far left for the, the Democratic general electorate or is this that? we were talking about that when we should have been talking about the economy and, and talking about that and also talking more about the economic issues that people are facing. And, um, you know, we lost a lot of down ballot democratic seats that we should have kept. Mm. Um, of course, gerrymandering, gerrymandering and the redistricting process made it a lot harder. Um, but I do think that um, we could have, we, we could have had more boots on the ground to actually do direct voter contact in a substantive way that and that just didn't happen this cycle, unfortunately. And I and I think that Democrats are sort of flagged, you know, even though we see like the GOP as extremists, mm. um, I think they really flag the Democrats as extremists with mm-hmm. like the messaging, you know, like especially in Florida with like the woke messaging and, and all of that. Like that's where I think they really came at us hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't know how to combat it. You know, I don't know how to combat their fear mongering. I think that's the other issue too. That's a hard issue to 
reverse. Yeah, but you know people. what? I feel like we fear monger with them. Yeah. I mean, I do. I'm like, here's all these terrible things. It's it's right. like they're going to rain held fire down on Florida, which is how I feel. But it's kind of like, maybe that is the wrong way to approach it. Maybe I should be, or we should be approaching in a different way. Abortion was a huge issue for me. I mean, that's, that's what no, it is for me. I mean, it, and it I, should be. But, but I agree. Like I, I just feel like maybe it is an economic thing more that that's how we have to, to talk to people. I don't know. I, I, I'm always surprised when I see the results, but I'm not surprised. Like I was pretty prepared for what happened this election cycle. I, I figured this is what was going to happen. It's just never, it's just, there's still a part of our heart as Floridians that breaks a little bit because we know we're better than this and we deserve better than this. You know, I agree. We do. Yeah, we do. And our children, unfortunately um, have to do with the political tyranny of, Ron DeSantis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's what's happening. He is accumulating all this power in a very unique way that I don't think uh, we've ever seen governors in the state utilize previously. Mm. Um, really build their own political apparatus around their like gubernatorial administration, um, and that's catapulting them into the national spotlight. And unfortunately, people's lives hang in the balance because of that. And it's not fair. <laughs> and you know. And now we have to deal with the legislative consequences because people didn't turn out and vote and we didn't do a good job of giving a reason why they should. I know it's hard. I mean, it's hard to talk about these things and not feel down about it. And I think Mm -hmm. this is a part where I do think that not only, I mean, I don't ever really look to the party for some sort of direction because I'm aware (laughs) of what, what goes on here, but it would be, this is where the Broward or, I mean, that's because that's who I, I, that's where I live or the Florida party could really, you know, use some help is they need to come out the next day and say, yeah, these things happen. And here's what we're going to do moving forward. And like, just give people something (laughs) to like, look forward to or fight for. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult that now we have to live like this and see, and see what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't want so, this whole episode to be so, so down. Well, I feel like yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to cry. So, I know. So, <laughs> so I'll ask then, you know, we've just talked about a lot of failures al- along the way in this state. And is there something that you felt went right this election cycle? That's a great question. Um, that I, I believe what went right was we had really great candidates. Um, at least for state legislative races, <laughs> um, you know, for folks who are running for reelect, um, you know, we had the Ashleys, we had the Hillary Cassells, right? We had yeah. some really great folks running for election and sometimes reelection across the state in these down ballot races, like Michelle Rayner, Carlos Guillermo Smith, right? Like all these really awesome folks. Um, and so I do think that we had um, a diverse group of messengers especially the folks who live at these intersections that we talked about right and like what does it mean to not just have um a cishet white man talking about abortion right we can have women messengers who are talking about their personal experiences with it and how they would legislate on the issue that they're directly impacted by and i think that was something that was really awesome uh, that we don't give enough credit to all right i love that yeah i I mean we i mean we that's the one thing that I think we love the most about all of this is the people that we meet and then seeing candidates come into their own and watching, you know, even our local race and watching people sort of shine Mm -hmm. um, while they're out campaigning. I think that's like a really awesome thing to witness too. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my last question would be for you, Maya, is Mm -hmm. do you have hope for Florida and 
Like how much hope? Like uh, what are we leaning towards? <laughs> give me, give me an no idea. pressure, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, I mean, I think we should have hope um, for the state. I do think that you know, not to get too biblical, but the Bible talks about faith without works is dead, right? Like, so we can hope all we want, but mm. if we don't do anything about it, it's kind of all for naught. And so, yes, we're now at a disadvantage because we don't have the voter registration advantage that we once had, um, the partisan voter registration that we had. Um, but that means that if we want to do more or if we want to have more or be more, we have to do more. And so mm. that means that we have to put our boots on, you know, put our big girls and big boy panties on <laughs> and really dig in and do the work. And that means listening to folks right? Like actually going into community and having conversations with people. That's why some of the candidates that won, won, right? Because they had these, they had relationships in their community. One of the bright spots in the state ledge races that we saw was Lindsey Cross, right? Like she kept that gym seat in Pinellas County um, because she'd been involved in the process for so long and also been engaged in her community for a long time. We need more folks who, who do that work, kind of full circle to the conversation of where we started about who should run for office. Um, those relationships and relational organizing is key. I think y'all probably have heard me say this previously of like, that's how we move the needle because folks want to be able to trust the folks mm. that they're going out of their way for to cast the ballot. Absolutely. And I think we take for granted the fact that like we get the ballot in the mail and we talk about it all the time. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not, it, it's not me going out of my way to go cast the, a vote because we do this all the time. But for some folks, it's not common practice, right? They do it every, once every four years and sometimes not even that. And so we have to build the muscle memory for folks to understand how important this is and like a reward, right? You do it and then what good do we get out of it? But if you keep telling people to vote and nothing's changing for them, what do you expect? Yeah. Yep. And like, even if it's like, you know, on the county commission, we flip the county commission to a, a Democratic majority. What are we proving to folks that we've done that we should do more of that? <laughs> and, yeah. and and if not, what conversations are we continuing to have in, in community instead of abandoning the, the community to talk about what went wrong and how we fix it? And that that's completely. God, I love it. But you're right. I mean, listen, there's work to be yeah, done and we, there's and people who are willing do to do it. Like, yeah. let's go. I mean, I'm ready because I can't. I, I mean, it's disappointing. I know we're going to have a lot more losses before we start to have wins. I'm just ready to mm -hmm. start that. Let's get that train rolling, though. Like, let's, I want to see it. I want to I need a plan. <laughs> I want some instructions. I want some direction. And I know that we can. I know we can do it. I know it. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. I am so glad that you've joined us today. And um, I encourage everyone to look up Maya and uh, Florida Black Girls. They do their yes. own like podcast. I guess it's like a podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. So we start on. We started kind of. It's so funny. So we started kind of as a group chat, and people started hearing about it, and they're like, "Where would I hear what you say?" Twitter Spaces. That is now a podcast. So yeah. So we're on Twitter Spaces every first and third Tuesday. Oh, amazing. I can't wait for oh, tomorrow. You're doing one tomorrow, Oh, right? yeah. Woo! It's going to be good. Everybody tune good. in. I can't yes. wait to hear what they say. <laughs> and, of course, our friend Jasmine Rogers is on oh, there. And so is our, right. our, our good friend Lindsay Pollard. So and lovely, lovely women. women. Yeah, women. doing, like, incredible work for Florida. Oh, 
we are so grateful. Thank you I so know. much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank okay. you so much. I really enjoyed it. Of course. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. Bye. 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 If you want to learn more about this week's guests, please go to our website, www.themuckpodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast and on our Twitter at Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support with exclusive content. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do this without you.